Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we are going to have one of the most thought-provoking conversations that I think you will have had in a while. And so we're going to talk about all the ways in which your life is the, the high volume of things that are predetermined before you're born. Mm-hmm. And then even compiled by that, things that are determined before you have a memorable conscious thought. Yeah, before you have any sense of self. Yes. The amount of things that already set the path of your life before you. Yes. And we're going to get into some science. We're going to get into some uh, modern thinking and see how this affects dramatic things like your predisposition to know or reject God, um, career paths, uh, thinking about relationships, um, compliance versus rebellion, all kinds of things. And so this is really fascinating. I hope you'll... uh, Hope you'll enjoy this as much as we are enjoying the mind-blowing part of this. <laughs> right. It's been kind of a wild ride. I feel like I came in deeper, too. My voice came in deep. The topic is heavier. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be, good. It'll be it'll a good It'll be great. So before that, before we go deep, it's, uh, <laughs> gotta stay it's joke and or story time. And what do you got for us, John? It's your turn. I got an, uh, another story or kind of a series of stories. It's kind oh. of a thing about me that was very apparent from very young. And to kind of fit in with our theme today. With our theme today. So you're going to yeah. give us a series of short stories. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> a series of short stories by John Lamb. Uh So one of the my very early memories is playing t-ball. Mm. And I've, the only two sports I ever played were t-ball when I was, you know, too little. And and football when I was in middle school. Yeah. And um, and t-ball, I'm out in the field. And, uh, and I'm just sitting down. It's in the middle of a game. And I'm sitting down on the ground, you know, playing with dirt clods or something. I don't, mm-hmm. even, I don't remember what I was doing. Do you remember doing. if you were in the infield or the outfield? I guess everybody was in the infield. Yeah. I yeah. think I was, I th- technically I was on a base. I bet you I was on, uh, I bet I was on first base. Okay. Um, if my memory's correct, which, mm-hmm. you know, who, who knows, knows if this even happened. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm just sitting down. And then later there was some joke about me sitting down playing t-ball. And, I, and at the time I didn't think it was weird that I was sitting down in the middle of the game. Because I just wanted to sit down. Lots of kids do. So you okay. weren't you weren't the only one. Gotcha. Yeah. Lots and of kids so, don't. But but sure. it's not unusual for a kid to sit down during t-ball. <laughs> it's t- you know soccer what, as well. The goalie would be down there. You know, yeah. kind of playing in the grass, picking his nose. Yeah. 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 Okay. So then, uh, much more regularly than that, because I don't think I played t-ball very long at all. I don't think so either. We'd be at a at a store. We'd be at a Walmart specifically, and uh, <laughs> they you know in WalMarts they have the 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 media section. And there are the video. There's the video game section, and back in the day, I don't actually know. I haven't been in a in a in a minute to, um, to Walmart or at least paid attention. But uh, there's you know the consoles were there, and there'd be a controller that was basically bolted to a wall, and a TV oh, high yeah, up, yeah. and you could trial, you could play the games, play the games, bit. check them out. Yeah, yeah. And so I would, uh, I would either be standing there with my head craned up, hurting myself because you know however long we were in the Walmart, that's the first place I would go. Uh, or if I could sit down and reach, I would do that. Or if, when I was especially younger, uh, it didn't matter what the store was. If one of those things was there or not, I would just be sitting down somewhere in one of the aisles. <laughs> I would just be sitting down <laughs> because I, I suppose from a very, very young age, I did not like standing up very much. And uh, and who knows why? That's, and, that's really true. Yeah. 
And, and you know, in those video game sections there, it would almost, sometimes there would be, often you'd be the only one there and it's no problem. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's like three people in line waiting <laughs> for the kid to quit playing so they can take a shot. And it was almost like you had to put some quarters up there and say, I'm next. You sure. Know, kind of thing. I don't ever remember being aware of a, a line. Hopefully I, I do because I remember, you know, hey, John, or uh, the first time was, you know, you wanted to do it, but there's a kid there. Gotcha. And when I asked him, how long you been here? I don't know. You know, how much longer are you going to be here? I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you don't mind, like, could you give him a turn at some point? Kind you of didn't thing. have to do that. But thank well, you. That way I could shop. If I, <laughs> you know, if you didn't have something to do. Who knows where I would have been. Who knows? Yeah. And then eventually I got a job where all I did was stand up. And it's not bad. Standing up's not bad? Yeah. yeah. I think I thought too too bad of it that it really was. I think it's underrated. <laughs> and now we have standing desks. You know, that's a yeah. thing now. Do you have one? I don't. Well, so, actually, so you mean the metaphorical we? We. The, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. We as Americans. We're, yeah, standing desks are a thing. <laughs> right. But you don't have one. So what does that have to well, do with your story of you sitting all the time? I'm just saying, you know, standing. Oh. <laughs> standing. Ch- check it out. Yeah, check it out. <laughs> It won't let you down. I know. Yeah. Dig into it a little bit. Yeah. There is a little counter actually from, uh, I have my desk and, uh, the chair situation in my office is a little sad. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of good chairs. So mm-hmm. I'm sitting on, uh, I don't know. It, it's not a roller chair as you would think it would be, but, uh, the roller chair I had was, it was a uh, duct tape special. There was the duct tape special was a different one. Mm-hmm. Then I got one that was a health hazard. I, I determined, <laughs> <laughs> who knows what was going to happen to that thing any minute of any day. So then I just pulled up this random chair, like a like a folding chair type style. And uh, at the end of the day, sometimes on that one, if I've been, if I've been in the office all day, uh, I'm wore out from this weird chair. And I'll, and I'll take my computer to the little shelf, and I'll use that as like a standing desk. Mm. It's a good amount of su- uh, surface, and it's, it's tall enough for me. Yeah. So uh, I use that as a standing desk sometimes. I think maybe your seating options at work are a metaphor for the – state of journalism in america <laughs> you think so <laughs> maybe so yeah maybe if we could just get better chairs the journalism would improve and we could, uh, we could turn this correlation whole ship around. Not causation yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah all right so uh john um you recently read uh, a lengthy amount of research uh, that you found and it's blown your mind and has sent you on a trail of some some really fascinating and somewhat complicated thinking yeah about how uh, humans are formed. Yeah. So the uh, this is interesting. For you know, identity is a funny thing, uh, and you kind of we talked a little bit recently about special specialization. How you don't really want to be, you want to be well rounded to an extent, but you don't want to try and be great at everything. Right. You're trying to be good at one thing. So, uh, and when you're a kid, it's a little even more simple than that. You're gonna you're like, am I gonna be a a reading guy or a numbers guy. It's like mm. you can't be both. Right. And so uh, it's rare that I, and it's, uh, I enjoyed a lot of my science classes. Or a science and math guy versus exactly. a versus, Yeah, versus like a poet, you yeah. know. Yeah. And there's exceptions to this rule all, all over the place. There's, you know, some really good um, and some of that they fiction used to writers think or poets who are scientists. Who are also scientists. Yeah. And some of this they used to think of left brain, right brain, although right. they've gotten uh, off of that a little bit, I think. Yeah. So anyway, and I enjoyed a lot of my science classes, depending on... Um, you know, if I found them interesting, of course, but so this was interesting because, uh, I was obsessive with this, with this thing. So basically what it is, is, uh, through, like I mentioned before, I have these hypotheses. Mm-hmm. I was trying to see if, if one that I had made any lick of sense at all. And I found this. It's so you a, went looking for this article. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
uh, and it is called a. It's from 2011, which in scientific standards is pretty pretty yeah, old. Yeah, that's pretty. Old. That's eight years. That's that's yeah. antiquated research. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but it is uh, titled a mini review: hormones and human sexual orientation by uh, Jacques Balthazar. He's a professor at a um, university in, I believe, Belgium. Uh, but the point being w- was that I was trying to see uh, what prenatal factors, so when you're in the womb, uh, determine your outcome in life in a general sense. And so this one specifically was about sexual orientation and the uh, way the brain forms in the womb and uh, these kind of uh, basically the um, the fetus in the womb, the, the little baby, is uh, bathed with these uh, these hormone cocktails. kind of a hormone soup. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Just this uh, batch of hormones over over the gestation period. Yeah, uh, and it determines basically everything about the kid, or, or almost everything. It, it it first determines physical features, then it determines more subtle mental features and uh, all kinds of things. Okay, so now pause here for a second. Sure. Can you remember where you were going yeah, with yeah. that next? Okay, so I just want to ob- observe something. First of all, I don't know very many people who, uh, in their free thought time, are thinking about prenatal determinations of a person's deal so kudos to you john you continue (laughs) to surprise me with the things that you think about and the curiosity that you have about all things that are connected in life i think it's a really cool thing well thank you yeah the second thing is um, if the conversation about some type of prenatal condition leading to or predisposing towards sexual orientation if that idea frustrates you not you john Mm -hmm. a listener um, we know this has been a giant debate in the faith world. Are people born this totally. way or do they become this way? And so this is going to be the terrain we enter into. Not that this conversation's about sexual orientation entirely, but that is part of the conversation. And it was certainly part of the research that got this whole kind of thing going in your mind. Yeah. So we would ask you, if you have strong opinions about this, hear us out and kind of play this uh, this process with us. And then we'd love to hear your feedback at the end. Yeah. So the basic, basically, um, I was surprised too that I went, that I read this whole thing because <laughs> yeah. it, it's, uh, it just kept lengthy. captivating you more and more and more. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was almost, uh, obsessive. Uh, but the, uh, really the takeaway, the big takeaway is that, um, you, you exit the womb according to this data, um, predisposed to a lot of things in a lot of ways, a lot of ways. Exactly. So, uh, they and they don't go so basically what it is uh the the um conclusion that this author draws uh Jacques uh he <laughs> says that um and from the data supports this that uh with with these certain brain features and 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 uh um mirroring physical features uh you are x amount more likely to be this way than otherwise and so uh my big thing is how many more features of yourself are like this that you know because it's a it's a finicky science they can't do they don't know a lot of these brain formations and 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 their correlations until you die you they can't you know they can't get it's into like your brain diagnosing alzheimer's you exactly. can't you can't accurately diagnose alzheimer's exactly. without an autopsy so so all you have is the is the data a lot of it self-reported mm-hmm. uh and to extrapolate with so it's not perfect science but the idea that um that you it's it's basically destiny is was was my first very first thought was uh you come out of the womb with a uh a a lot more defined path than I thought you would because my 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 previous assumption about you know life was mostly on the nurture side of the nature versus nurture thing mm-hmm. on is it, are you born a certain way or do you become a certain way and it's still both obviously I still think it's both 
Um, but it is it is far more closer to the middle than I thought it was. Yeah, so towards and towards nature. Yeah, so we um, have a tendency to lean on the nurture side. You are the way you are because of what you went through, or the way you were raised, or whatever. Um, but it turns out that there's a ton of things that are in the formation of the human being that predispose a person in lots of ways. Yeah, and um, and then and I've you know if you've ever try to think back on on you know uh the choices of your life right like like there's a lot in, a, in movies a lot that that start in like the towards the end and then they flash back to the beginning oh, and yeah, the guys yeah. like how did i get here you know yeah. uh i've tried to do that and it seems kind of like like it just happened and that could just be a personality thing but it's it's always felt a little bit like like there I, were cards in your life that were going to be played right and, and even the choices i made yeah. i didn't deliberate too much over them they just so in some I, ways, who I am has been who I have right. been. In some ways, whether you thought deeply or just navigated intuitively, you ended up in similar spots, right? Because of the way your brain thinks. Yeah, and uh, just this idea of the natures of the nature of individual people, how it is uh, so close to impossible to change your own nature, and uh, the idea that without the uh, spirit of God, mm-hmm. this might be completely impossible. And there are ways to change. You see in, uh, in non-Christian people or at least non, uh, professing people like, like, uh, like celebrity cases like Robert Downey Jr. Right. Mm-hmm. Where he had this, uh, deep drug addiction turns his life around. And so it's not to say that change isn't impossible without the spirit of God, but deep in that language in the new Testament, I think is so apt the so deep. You're, it's like you're a new person. Well, that's because the, that's what it takes. That's to, what it takes to be a different person. Right. And the word there transformation is metamorpho. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the caterpillar to the butterfly, right? Most humans don't experience caterpillar to butterfly transformation. And that kind of, that kind of morph. Yeah. Is only possible through the, uh, the dynamic work of the Holy spirit in your life actually changing you right and right? i think of it yeah exactly now and i'll end up my exposition here in a little bit and we can actually get to oh no, this is great a conversation but it's it's i think of i think of saul um to paul mm-hmm. and um and his his path right so say he was how old was he when uh when he we're not really told sure. uh, but he's a grown enough man that he's already a pharisee and he's overseeing the execution of christians yeah he's grown so he's a grown man yeah uh, his the rest of his life, especially by that point, you know, we it's easy to say that it would be far earlier than that when you when a person is really who they are, you know, by the time they're five, maybe mm-hmm. that you can you can see the person they will be um, barring major um, trauma. Right. Such. So uh, the rest of his life is, is clear cut. He's going to keep prosecuting these people. Maybe he'll feel bad about it later and be nicer to people. But but the level of change he could experience is limited without this. Bam. This moment. Well, and you even see the similarities to his personality. You have this guy who's not just a Jew, but he's a radical Jew. Mm-hmm. And he's not just a radical Jew. He is out to change the world kind of Jew. And that's the kind of Christian he becomes. Yeah. He becomes a radical Christian who's going to give up everything in his life to change the world into a Christian world. So that part of his personality you know, was in both places. Totally. And I think part of that is the... Um because I even with a big part of this that that got me thinking about it was also um, birth defects and and mm-hmm. things where people are born with uh, pretty unfair hands. You talk about uh, fetal alcohol syndrome or yeah. or um, you know genetic disorders and um, and part of my aha was everyone starts with a stacked deck in some way and some with way more stacked than others. 
Um, and so, but, but that, that nature that you are, um, where I was going with that is that you are, that that would seem to contradict the, you knit me together my mother's womb, the, Mm. the, uh, divine construction. And then they have birth defects. You think about the injustice there, but I still think we are designed with, with very specific purposes and strengths. And so that strength of, of, of Paul's where he, uh, has no quit in him and he doesn't do anything 50%. Mm -hmm. That was, you know. He, that was put there for that reason, and and that wouldn't go away when he, right. you know, met God. So that's that's the big thing, and and a big part of this for me is thinking about fate, and people, and and choice. So how do you think? Because because you you seem to have been as grabbed with this as I am. I am. Yeah. Um, how do you think that the not necessarily even um you know predestination or or if you um you know who or who will and who will not choose God. Um, but how do you think the spirit of God enters in? If this is the reality of the situation, how do you think that interaction works? Well, <clears throat> I, I think that, um, that there is a, there is a miracle that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus said, it's like being born all again, unless you can be born again, you'll never know the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so Nicodemus says, well, I can't climb back in my mother's womb, but this, this is a birth that is not by the will of man or the decision of a husband or a wife. It is a birth by the will of God. A, an actual uh, birthing of a supernatural uh, deposit in your life that actually transfers you is the language in the New Testament from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So hmm. everything changes. But I, I want to pause right there because that's nine steps ahead of where uh, where I want to go back here and see what all this stuff means because you have been playing with this for a long time. And um, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of the predisposition. One of the things that we talk about in, you know, the church world is spiritual formation and that, that we engage with the Holy spirit and the scriptures and some spiritual disciplines sure. and, and we form our spirit. And uh, my notion is that what we actually are doing is reforming it because it has been formed as we're talking about in, uh, in the womb and in those uh, total subconscious things you experience before your fifth birthday, sure, or whatever. Yeah. And so there's a whole ton of formation that has gone on before you ever become aware of self or of God or of a need to be different or desire to be different. Totally. And so what you're really doing is you're reforming what you had been given uh, at birth. So here's the fascinating thing is that we're talking about that all of us have this bucket and our buckets aren't identical, but we all have this bucket that we are born with that predisposes us to our personality type, um, to many of our career choices, to our sexual orientation, to uh, the degree of masculinity or femininity that we naturally uh, portray. Mm -hmm. So much of this goes on prior. Now, uh, I showed you a video the other day of this kid with with Down syndrome playing this ridiculous guitar solo. It was was amazing. And he he is just into the music and his face is having such joy and engagement. And it's stunning. His guitar skills are stunning. Better, yeah. I've been playing guitar for a few years. <laughs> and it's better than I will ever be. Yeah. And um, so you mentioned in one of your thoughts is that um, just like he is genetically, he was genetically predisposed for Down syndrome. He had no participation in that. Mm-hmm. And so he's dealing the cards. He's playing the cards he was dealt. Mm-hmm. Right? So his his life is to... Uh, navigate as best he can with God, with the human race, with the world, the planet, all of it, with this hand he's been given. 
Yeah. And your supposition was that all of us are born with a hand and all of the hands inherently point us the wrong direction. Yeah. So uh, the idea that if there is such thing even as like, um, you know, like a, a neutral value there, we're all off of the neutral value. We're all, you know, um, uh, pointed a certain a certain way. And uh, and again, like the freedom that he has in his situation is admittedly, you know, limited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the idea is the same that we all. So his uh, agency. Right. His degree of agency is going to be a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's not different than in, you know, where you were born, the economic situation where you were born. Uh, These are all very uh, things that are far from your control when you're born. And the fact that it goes prior to that in the actual womb and things that are beyond the control of even your parents. Okay, so I'm thinking about these these uh, items that get into the stew of your DNA right. of your creation and their impact. Now, one of the one of the ideas you you mentioned was um, if you're in a starting gate and you're in a bicycle race, say, mm-hmm. or a or a motorcycle race, and you're all in stalls, right? And the gates are going to drop and you all run out of your stalls. A horse race would be a more sure. easy thing to imagine. So you're, all these horses on their, their jockeys are on the horses and they're in these stalls. And when the gates drop, their stalls are all pointed away from the racetrack. Yeah. So that's the analogy I, I use, except if you can imagine they're kind of radial. Like imagine they're fanned out pointing different directions yes. and then all pointing one direction. Yeah. But the track and, is right down the middle. Right. And so uh, everyone has corrections to make. And it is kind of, again, another hypothesis, my, my idea that you can change direction in, so, you know, to X amount without the, the without the uh, help of God. Right. But any amount of true change, any amount of 90 degree angle is going to take that intervention. Uh, and I think it's important and a lot of stuff, even just simple as temperament. Um, I think of, you know, uh, uh, Jacob. And uh, and and Joseph, two men who um, eventually found very right standing with God. God used them in 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 amazing ways, and they are of opposite temperament. Uh, seemingly, I, I identify more with Joseph, kind of more of the you know he's a he's a daddy's boy, right? He's uh, he's compliant, he's Rule follower, turning on his brothers, tell, turning them in for breaking the rules. <laughs> sure, a snitch. Uh, yeah, but yeah. he but he's uh, he's about the rules. He's compliant. He's steady. Um. And versus Jacob, who's inherently a little bit rebellious, yeah, uh, very um, working the angle, yeah, yeah, and and the virtue uh, in both that Joseph could serve so well his masters mm-hmm. that he gets to where he needs to be, and that Jacob could be such a fighter and so indomitable that he could be who God needed to um, to create his earthly the his, his people, the kingdom of his people, and you know, in the the, the first sense so uh the idea that even in those temperaments and that i see myself as joseph and i look back in my life and see that i didn't choose that in even the slightest and i would i would uh put money down that jacob didn't choose to be who jacob was joseph didn't be to choose who joseph was and yeah. so that these yeah. these hands that you're dealt are are deeper than than a lot of us would say than i would have said and the theory then would be that if you do nothing but uh be your natural self. Exactly. You are not going to be in the center of the racetrack. Exactly. You're going to have to course correct. And all of us have varying degrees of course correction required for us to be who God had in mind for us. Right. And this, this course deviation at birth 
is probably, I would say, 100% sure, is a result of the fall. Yeah. That prior to sin entering the world, all of this worked correctly. And that we broke not only our relationship with God, but we broke everything. And now creation, the Bible says, is groaning, waiting for the redemption of all things. And so creation is going from chaos, I mean, from order to chaos. And so everything's course deviated. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that your course deviation, whether that is sexual orientation, whether that is um, Down syndrome, whether that is rebellious personality, whether that is compliant personality, that all of us have course corrections we need to make. Mm -hmm. And we are um, we are common in our depravity, I guess would be the word. Right. And I think the the freedom there or the the so with with uh, orientation specifically and and issues of gender identity uh, from the outside, it, it looks like these people who are heteronormative are saying you people who aren't need to be more like us. Mm -hmm. And the reality situation is uh, everyone needs to make these corrections. Right. No one can sit on their laurels like that and and be who they should be. There's no growth there, you know. Well, one aha I had just we're doing some training in our staff about um, human sexuality and biblical views of sexuality. Mm -hmm. This is a growing, complicated uh, thing in our world. And one of the things I realized is that all every person past puberty is probably a sexual sinner mm-hmm. and that probably there's no one who should practice all their sexual ideas. Yeah. And so you have this course correction we need, whether that's um, uh, gender attraction course correction or whether that's sexual practice course correction. Yeah. Or even a, a perversion or, a, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. The fact that all of us are off kilter. Yeah, um, is is a, a unifying thing in a in a in a way. Right now, let me, I, there's some things that you brought up that um, were were fascinating, and I think they make little things that'll help us. Uh, that's our guest uh, Patches again. It's in the <laughs> studio with us. This is his last podcast, her last podcast with us. But Patches is here with us anyway. Um, there are uh, there are some things that 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 um, you learned that. Um, help you understand just how complicated the formation of a person actually is. Mm-hmm. And so uh, let me mention just a couple, and then you can throw in more that that uh, I miss. Sure. And so uh, when, uh, a, when a, we're going to use the word fetus, not because we don't think that's a person, but totally. because that's the, that's the stage in development. Yeah, it's, it's just, yeah. So when a fetus is formed, it is female. Mm-hmm. And when it attaches to the uterine wall, it begins to be over the period of gestation. It begins to have this uh, soup of hormones that pass around it, all contributing to the formation, not just of gender, but of hair color and uh, eye color and a whole number of things, brain formation, muscular bones, all of it. Yeah. And so the, uh, and, and that actually the the um the neutral form is female and very immediately it switches so it's not it's not that way for long in that kind of right in between that's the first one of the first things that changes is is the physical attributes now for a woman over multiple pregnancies mm-hmm. her uterine environment actually begins to produce Im, uh, immunity yeah it, it 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 learns immunity to to certain cer- parts of that hormonal soup exactly so and specifically with with men because again that they're the ones who get more of the complicated cocktail um is and that word is more funny than anything <laughs> but adapt i think yeah, it, you know yeah. it makes sense uh and so uh uh every um male kid born in a family uh after the first one is more and more likely statistically 
to be uh, uh, homosexual, to, to identify as a homosexual. So because more of these hormones are are re- caught and rejected by the immunity, the uh, immune system of the of the mother. Right. So the idea would be that if you if you uh, surveyed male population around the world, about eight percent would identify as homosexual. Mm-hmm. But if you took just the say fifth born males in a five male family, that number would that be much number higher. would go up to about thirty three percent. Yeah, that that figure specifically, uh, uh, I'm less sure on. It is eight percent for the world. You're you're right, eight to yeah. ten, I think. But it goes up considerably. Uh, your chances. Okay, and then there's parts of the the neurodevelopment. And um, then there's even things like um, sperm counts. Okay, this is fascinating mm. that a a male today has half the sperm count of a male born 40 years before him. Yeah. And that that number is plummeting faster. Yeah. So faster it's, than it it's halving. Been. It halved over 40 years, but now it's going to half over probably 25 or 30. Yeah. I don't know that number specifically. And but it's it, going to keep halving it's faster. It's snowballing. Yeah. yeah. Now, right now, it's not an emergency because you have so many right. that even half of that is still millions. Yeah, still. In, in your average guy, it's still enough. And yeah. Yeah. So you can see that, that um, fallen humanity, I would say, is going to bring us to the place where reproduction becomes uh, a challenge. Yeah, and it is brought on to ourselves where the, the main culprit, which and this is also not completely agreed upon, but most people would say the main culprit for this is uh, plastics. And that this actually started basically in the uh, the um, the revolution, um, oh, the industrial the, revolution, the industrial revolution, yeah. where we introduced these chemicals that the human body generally didn't really interact with, that would uh, just like the the uterine situation block certain uh, hormones from being received into your body from in your own brain. So right, actually, and now those blockages are passed on in vitro mm-hmm. to the next generation. And so they have those blockages even right. though they have not yet touch the plastic thing exactly so it's not even something that your lifestyle can prevent because you are born with the blockages of of your parents and then you will pass on your own to your kids and that kid will have even even more blockages than yourself so it is an inescapable reality of the situation so for the sake of this discussion we're not we're not um uh embracing the absolute certainty of these kinds of uh, research in this report. Right. Like, like we said, it's impossible to prove. Right. This is just a, a, the pieces fit in this idea. But clearly people being born today are being born different, differently chemically mm-hmm. and environmentally than people born 200, 500, 600 years ago. Yeah. And so the things are changing and that that is a factor in how you emerge from the womb. Yeah. And again, to stress because uh, these numbers they're they're um they're real but it's not to say that everyone who was born this way ends up to be a gay man or a lesbian woman but so they're but their predisposition but they're pre- toward exactly they're much more, more lenient more and likely. that's that 33 yeah. percent uh, uh men with these certain factors right. are 33 percent likely to be to identify later in life as as gay and where the average one is is eight percent yeah so it it is uh and i think that will probably go in all kinds of ways X amount of people with a brain this way are more likely to get addicted to something at some time in their mm-hmm. lives, you know, mm-hmm. genetic addiction, which we know is, is the case. So uh, that's the big idea is that you have specific pitfalls that you were either born with or required early on in life. And you have very specific strengths. Now, I've been thinking for a long time that uh, compliant personalities mm-hmm. become Christians easier 
than rebellious, intense, sure. independent, fiercely the ideas independent are more, personalities. The ideas are more comfortable to you, I guess. What's though. interesting, though, is there is a direct correlation between the level of your education and your likelihood of rejecting Christianity. Yeah. So the higher your education, the lower the percentages of population there that actually are followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, I would say a lot of those personalities, I was thinking they would be compliant, but I don't guess having a great, uh, huge education means you're compliant. There's probably a lot of rebellious, highly educated people. So, <laughs> sure. Uh, probably quite a few. Yeah. So that's a nurture. That's a, that's a, it's interesting. What makes people more likely to get a doctorate than a person who's likely not to even get a college degree. Is there any predisposition there? Yeah. And so uh, this becomes a really um, a bowl of spaghetti chasing all these <laughs> yeah. noodles in a hundred different directions about the complexities with which we are made. What yeah. What is your big point to how complicated this actually is? Well, that was the very first thing was that uh, – it's like you're in the kiddie pool and you can feel you can touch the <laughs> ground and then you take one step and it's like I don't know where I am anymore. Right, right. As I was reading this, I was because because I was again uh, I thought I had a good grasp on this, and what I really learned was um, I am far from anywhere to understand the human brain, and even people who know this, who bre- eat and breathe this, mm-hmm. are light years from understanding the human brain and how we are actually and how complex we are as a as a as beings. So. That was the very first realization was yeah. I'm not even close. No one's even close. Yeah. But that there's a lot here to actually assist you with. Well, and the first thing that that said to me is that um, many of us like to live in a simple world mm-hmm. where everything's about choice. And so we want to blame the parents when a kid turns out bad. Yeah. We want to blame a person who has an orientation sexually that's extra, that's, uh, I was going to say extra biblical, non-biblical. It's outside sure. of the scriptures. And we want to hold that person accountable for this impulse because we want to live in the simple world where we're all born the same and we all have the same opportunities. And then we all uh, navigate that the same way. And so a compliant, uh, more easily obedient rule following person could look at someone who's comes out of the womb with their fists in the air, ready to fight. (laughs) And, And they didn't choose that. That, that was like in them. And we tend to not have compassion for how difficult it can be for certain certain people. And that's the word I was going to bring up next was the second big aha was compassion was the empathy was that um, these people, right, who uh, who who are not heteronormative, who either have a different, uh, you know, uh, gender Mm -hmm. identity or or orientation um, are victims in in in. In in the uh, especially originally in the original sense, they they came upon this and about themselves and either, you know, who knows how either uh, genetics or or after or both, Mm -hmm. most likely both. Um, And uh, and they are just as fallen as as me. So it's it's less of a sexuality, a gender identity issue than it is. Every single human on Earth has to change. And that change can be either considerably difficult or, or slightly easier. Yeah, whether you're born more conforming, whether you're born with a natural heterosexual impulse, whether you're born with sexual confusion or that emerges, mm-hmm. not born with it. And there's still no proof that you're born with that, but there's predispositions exactly. and then there's nurture impacts early in your life. But Right, so so the empathy then is that uh, that they didn't choose their struggles and I didn't choose mine. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the sadness that they were dealt their hands specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, that that was the second big aha, and a good, and, and a form of unity from that. Yes, and yeah. and so uh, one of the things that 
um, just to use a different example, is alcohol fetal syndrome. So I have friends who have had, who were born with it. I've had friends who uh, adopted or fostered kids who were born with it. And when they're in the womb and mom is an alcoholic and drinking, 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 that it changes the formation of the brain Mm -hmm. and it creates what's called alcohol fetal syndrome. And one of the things that that has is a lack of fetal alcohol syndrome. Am I saying it out of turn? I don't, people get the idea. I was curious. Yeah. I I don't know. Sure. But, um, they don't have the capacity to understand cause and effect. So when you tell them, if you touch that stove, you're going to burn your finger. They will have to touch the stove over and over again because they cannot, can't make that connection. They cannot make the connection particularly with rule following compliance in a classroom, how to behave in a crowd. Um, you know, they, they, and so prisons are full of fetal alcohol syndrome. Cause they couldn't understand kids. what, what their actions were going to lead right. to. And the ones who become successful have to actually just train themselves to make decisions based on this grid that they've taught themselves how to make decisions, not because they have a, an actual propensity to make good decisions, but they've just memorized everything this is list brutally of, hard work. Yes. Of cause and effect. Yeah. Now there's something a person's born with. They did not choose. They had no, um, they had no, um, what am I, what's the word? Responsibility. Complicity. Or, They're not complicit in yeah, any way with yeah, that. Yeah. Right. And, and yet now they've got to live out that hand. Yeah. And, uh, Probably my my big takeaway to to bring it home. I'll I'll, I'll drop after the, the our commercial break. But okay. if you want to, yeah. Well, I was going to say that I think that um, I feel empathy for the fact that there's so much. This is what this is opening both of I think our minds is. Mm-hmm. There is so much about you that you had no say in. Yeah. And so uh, no two people are born with the exact same deck of cards, the same hand, and you know we don't have the same hand. Mm-hmm. But I've been viewing everybody as if they did. And so that's really, that brings an empathic response to me. It also, uh, from a, from, um, from a, uh, understanding of faith development and spiritual formation, Mm -hmm. it makes me, uh, say that all of us were born in course deviated scenarios. And so all of us must gospel our lives back to center. And for some people that may be a little bit easier I'm already predisposed to heterosexuality. I'm already predisposed to compliance with the rules. I'm already, Mm -hmm. I might have some predispositions that make it easier for me, but I'm still going to have to course correct and gospel the lie that my life in alignment with Jesus. And that's going to require a birth so profound that it has to be a work of God in me because uh, most of us will live our lives left to ourselves and try to be the best version of ourselves we can be, Mm -hmm. but real morph is required for all of us and it's not natural to any of us exactly okay awesome commercial break yeah we'll see you guys in a few upstream is supported by the faithful members of the upstream team listeners who give monthly through patreon this podcast is just one part of the jim and john ministry they also write weekly blogs have published their first book and are currently at work on more Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, 
consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash Jim and John. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, thank you again for listening. Uh, I understand this is probably a little more, a little different than our normal episode, <laughs> so hopefully you guys are getting something out of this. Uh, we just couldn't stop thinking about this idea, and it, you know, it. Uh, it's very thought provoking. Yeah, and a lot to, a lot to keep processing. Yeah, and and really, when you said spaghetti bowl, that's really what it is. Is it's hard to keep track of all these threads. Probably about a third of the way through the review, I was like, I was like, I'm tracking. I was like, I gotcha, I gotcha, and then. You know, I looked at, you know, you see the little bar on the side where you see how right, far you are down the right. thing. I, when I saw I wasn't halfway through, I despaired. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm in too deep. But, well, uh, and no one's ever raised in a test tube environment, so you can't compare apples to apples. We're also different because even if you were born genetically with the same exact pattern, mm-hmm. uh, you ate different foods, you were raised in different homes, different chemicals and pesticides used in your yard. Yeah. I mean, there's just no, there's no two identical people to even compare to. yeah and all it takes is is one trauma either physical or otherwise something doesn't even have to hit your brain but right you know any number of things it's just uh we are so fragile and that was actually so so i got uh two big uh, uh takeaways from this uh the first one uh for me which and i've had this thing for a while is you can't really uh no one knows themselves mm-hmm. and a big thing now and i and i hate to generalize but a, a, a seeming big thing now a big theme um is that you have a duty to yourself and you know yourself better than anybody. Right. And that's the big thing when really, if this has taught me anything, if not, because you know, Bible's all over this where it says the heart of man is, is deceitful. Who can understand it? No one, not even you can understand your heart. Only God can. And that this whole thing, you have no idea one third of the factors prenatal or not that made you who you are. Man. And so assuming that you know yourself or that, you know what is right for you. Even that confidence I think is, is a big wall. So a person who's maybe more rebellious might be more inclined to say, I am who I am and I'm not going to change for nobody. And that's the, that's the wall. That's what makes it hard. It's not that, that, that you are worse or better of a person than someone who follows the rules is better. It's that you have a, a bigger hurdle to jump over. And this is why I can imagine that there will be people who will have full exposure to the glory of Jesus and still choose not to accept him. Exactly. Because of that pride and that confidence mm-hmm. in your own understanding of yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the big thing, that one's a little more somber. The big thing here, the hope of all this is that uh, it seems to me when you're getting older and you see that road ahead of you more and more clearly, it's just it's just cause and effect. Like you're saying, you just see, well, this is who I am. This is what my life looks like. And that's probably how I'm going to end up. That's where I'm going to die. And that's where I'm going to go after death. You can just see it. You can see where Saul was going. You can see where people are going. And, uh, and that's what I, that, and that's why the big, the big idea of this to me was fate and destiny because it seems like your hands are tied basically mm. barring something big happening to you. And the freedom we talked, we had a T minus seven about, uh, uh, freedom in the gospel. You can look out right. for that soon. And what even that means? Cause it gets thrown a lot around a lot. It's a big word. I think what I'm learning through this is the freedom of the kingdom of God is a lifeline to pull you out of your destiny, to mm. pull you out of your road where otherwise it looks a lot like you, you have no choice at a certain point after a certain point you have your own inclinations and your own dependencies and your own uh, lifestyle that you've built and uh, it is so hard to shake that free and god throws you a lifeline from your own disposition sometimes from your own upbringing and from your eternal destiny he gives you the freedom to all those where otherwise you're pretty well dug in Hmm. and that that seems to be the big thing with me is is that not all of this seems to be a big trap 
and uh, and the spirit of God is profound enough to change that in less than a second if it if it works out that way. Right, for you. right. And a lot of people, it's a lot more work than that. But well, what's interesting to me too, I mean, I love that, is that we are all on a natural path to destruction. Right. If you just follow where you're going already, right. Right. if we don't if we don't push against our natural tendencies and predispositions, we will self destruct and implode and hurt a lot of people along the way. And that makes me understand why Jesus said, hey, broad is the way and that leads to destruction. And many are they who walk it Mm -hmm. and narrow is the way because this requires such a radical uh, submission to or willingness to bow to something else. The other thing that this makes me realize is that we make decisions that seem really smart to us, but they seem smart to us for a whole set of reasons that may not be reliable. Yeah, and, sure. And so you, your own compass is yes, kind of, your yeah. own compass is broken, and so you're saying that's north, when in fact it may not be exactly north. And this is what's so powerful about the Bible, and about God. We have this true north that we can then compare ourselves to. Mm-hmm. If we compare ourselves to other people, we won't find north. And they're but changing all the time. They're changing all the time, and and cultures changing all the time. But if we hold up this this truth from God. That is actually the way. Mm-hmm. And then we can calibrate to that. And if we didn't have something to calibrate to, and this is where our culture is going, where they're disregarding any authoritative uh, declaration of right and wrong or truth or lies or whatever. Well, now we're all course correcting off of each other, and yeah. that's going to go nowhere good. And, you know, you might say, why choose this one ancient book if I'm going to try and hold to something exactly. ancient unchanging? Test it if you want. Yeah, the truths found there are so self-evident most of the time, and if not in practice, mm-hmm. uh, just ridiculously powerful. That uh, one of the reasons we're not a um, problem-solution podcast is because all we would do is read the book to you. Like, you know, it's like it's and there's complicated stuff where it's not yeah. that cut and dry. But with but it's if as a as a compass, like you're saying, yeah, uh, it it just holds up. So here's my big takeaway. Yeah, please. Many people. This is a, a General McChrystal co- quote. A lot of people are born on third base and think they hit a triple. <laughs> That's a and, great quote. Uh, it is a great quote. And um, what I realize is what all this information does is it humbles me dramatically because I would have said I was born on third base. I'm mm-hmm. born in a, uh, in a family that became affluent. Uh, lots of uh, uh, things afforded to me um, in all kinds of ways, family, blah, 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 blah. And there was also a lot of crap, but in terms of all the places in the world and all the scenarios in which I could have been born, I think I was born on third base, but I realize I really wasn't. And, um, I was in a whole lot of ways, but I still needed redemption. Totally. I, I think I'm on third base compared to some other people. Sure. Actually, I'm sitting at home plate waiting to start running <laughs> because of the depravity that I have to navigate mm-hmm. and the, the, you know, the, the hormonal soup and the uh, nurture uh, wins and losses and the trauma and totally. all that. I still have to navigate that. All of us do. And so it, 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 if you think you're on third base, this helps you realize, man, I'm probably not on third base. Yeah. And I've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. And that, that, that shared humility is exactly. a powerful, powerful exactly. thing. Yeah. That level of, or I guess the, the the realization mm-hmm. of really how messy it, it is even even for for mm-hmm. yourself for for us and i think that's why jesus could look at people 
who the religious people look down their nose at. These are people who were born just like me, but they've chosen prostitution. They've chosen, you know, whatever they've chosen. And Jesus could look at them with the same amount of dignity and regard as a religious leader because they because he understood everything we're talking about exactly and how complicated the journey is for all of us i'm a big fan of this one i hope you guys i hope this was engaging yeah uh, respond to us man yeah, we'd love please. to have comments thoughts you can email us at info at jim and com. no h in the john love to have emails from you i have gotten uh, a couple of uh episode ideas lately from listeners so if you have episode ideas let us hear those um, as always please subscribe tell a friend and uh, man we're really grateful that you listen yeah thank you guys very much this is 41 episode 41, 41. we're 41. getting yeah we're closer to you every time <laughs> we'll see you guys next week thanks a lot